Hello and welcome to Who's on the Mat with me, Liz Daffin. So, hello and welcome to today's podcast. Today I've got Sandy with me and this is an absolute first because I've got Sandy sitting right opposite me at this moment in time in my garden and we have a glass of wine which is very exciting. So, Sandy is um, a regular at my Saturday morning class and we just thought we'd have a little chat because we've talked about a few very interesting things in classes and I thought, oh, some really interesting stuff in there that I'm sure loads of people would love to hear as well. So, welcome to the podcast, Sandy. Thank you for having me. Thanks for the rosé. No problem at all. It's a good job I didn't bring the box out, right? (laughs) I think there's three bottles in there, so this could be a long podcast. Yeah, it could be. This is a first as well, actually doing it with a little glass of wine, so very exciting. It's a first real life podcast for me as well, because I said the last one I did was on Zoom, so it's quite nice to be in real life. Exciting. So, um, you're obviously a guest. (laughs) So would you like to introduce yourself and just let us know a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Sandy, as you say, I come along to your Saturday morning yoga classes on a regular basis. Um, My job is Director of Vista Engagement at St Paul's Cathedral. Um, I'm married, I've got a five-year-old little boy and then two stepchildren who are 14 and 16 and my stepson's just finishing his GCSEs at the moment. Today was his last day, so oh, we fantastic. find out how he did and he's off partying tonight. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what you want to know, I live in southwest London around the corner from you. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, born and bred London, I lived here all my life. Um, so for me, the Burbs is middle of the countryside. My husband is born in the Cotswolds. <laughs> this is very urban. So <laughs> it's kind of a no- nice midway point for both of us. Oh, brilliant. So, so working in one of London's most iconic buildings, that just must be very yeah. exciting. Yeah. It, no, it is. And challenging. It is. It's challenging. <laughs> yeah, no, I always say it has its moments because I, I get to do things like the health and safety board and the fire risk board and the the day-to-day stuff that you know I was writing an operational paper today we're opening a new entrance and I was uh, writing the operational paper pulling everything together and it was real detailed stuff so Mm. yeah you have those days but then you have the most amazing wonderful days when you have the Queen's Platinum Jubilee yeah or you yeah I walk into the into the building sometimes think wow I work here I get to look after this this is mine I get to make decisions about it and there's something that's very um I'm a massive history geek and I love I love the idea that I am a part of the history of these buildings that I've mm. looked after and I've been part of so that in 100 years time we keep all the records we keep all the notes of meetings and things so 100 years time 500 years time there'll be my name I made that decision or I was part of that board that, that did X, Y and Z Fantastic so, Yeah, there's something a little bit special about Yeah that. That's what everyone gets to call their office St Paul's They, <laughs> they don't <laughs> <laughs> Although my office was underneath the organ for a while and that was um that wasn't as exciting as you might think it is. No. It's very loud. Yeah. So I moved. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get all the vibrations yeah, through the floor the as well? Yeah, vibrations. And then it would, it just, it sometimes sounded like the Hammer House of Horrors. <laughs> <laughs> and Afika said that, so I'm able to say that. Because, you know, that it was just like really like, duh, duh. And yeah, the vibrations and you just couldn't hear how you hear yourself think. So Yeah. Imagine trying to have a Zoom call with that going on in the background. Yeah, people used to just laugh at me. <laughs> I had to move. But this was like did they me. think you were in Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> <laughs> they probably did. It's like all oh, the organs. And I just go on mute and just sit there, and then like the co- I couldn't hardly hear the conversation even with the uh, earpiece on. So, so you see these buildings? They have their foibles as beautiful oh, yeah. as they are. That's yeah, there's definitely rent. pros and cons to working somewhere like that. Yeah, he didn't build it for uh, for Zoom calls, did he? So. <laughs> no, can you imagine? So, um, oh, let's talk about the most recent event there then. So the Queen's Jubilee, what was yeah. that like for you as a sort of the director of the, the building? Um, so, yes, yeah, so I'm not director of the whole building. Sorry, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, my, my, boss, uh, my boss does that. Um, we've got quite a strange governance structure, which I won't bore you with, but the dean <laughs> is kind of like the de facto CEO, and I report into, into him at the moment. And then I've got seven front-facing or kind of like operational departments, so um, Vista Operations, Sales and Ticketing, Volunteers, Marketing, Commercial, which is Hospitality Filming, Cafe in the Shop, Collections, mm. and Security. So not a lot. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> the majority of those teams were involved in some way in planning the Jubilee. So my role as kind of one of the senior managers was to sit on the, the top level planning 
boards and that really is just the really top detail mm. um but there were still about 30 people in the room um when you're planning those those scenarios and then it's down to the team to do the doing and to work out the detail and the operations of that and then bring that back up to the to the planning board but it was so exciting because up until the thursday about five o'clock on the thursday just as we'd finished the full dress rehearsal um we were still expecting the queen to come along and it was just really exciting to know that this was you know she'd celebrated this is her fourth jubilee that she celebrated mm -hmm. at st paul's um and it's something really amazing to be part of there was a real buzz around the cathedral um because it was something that genuinely everybody was a part of um and just to know that we were a part of history um so i was really lucky i got to go to the service and then get Fantastic. to go to the guild hall afterwards and uh, <coughs> so because we, <laughs> because um, just because of where we are, we were basically hanging around the front uh, trying to get the, I'm just going to say it, trying to get the press to take our pictures, to be honest <laughs> with you, so that we could be like, hi, mom, we're on, we're on the telly. We're catching the <laughs> yeah, XYZ exactly. paper. <laughs> yeah, it basically, yeah. We <laughs> end up being in the sun and in on Sky News, which I will say. I'll take and the then there was, yeah, yeah, no, there was there was a bit there was a bit of me on B on um, on BBC website, but the majority was on the Sun. So I was sending all this stuff around to my friends, going, "I'm, really, I'm not sending you a link to the Sun. Sorry, if it messes up your cookies or whatever." Um, so we're doing that, and then we waited to the last minute to go through. So one of my colleagues has worked there for 40 years, and he's done all of the jubilees and all of the really big services. Wow. And he said, "Look, the last thing you want to do because they they ask you to arrive from like half eight, and you're you're." It doesn't start till half eleven. It's like mm. the last thing you want to do is be sat there all that time. So he took he was one of the last people to walk through. So what was amazing, bearing in mind I started during COVID, which is a whole other story, mm. was to walk through St Paul's Cathedral at full capacity, three thousand people. Wow. Everyone's head turned, all in their finery, as we're walking up the aisle, escorted to our seats. Um, and then watching the royal family come in and, and we were sitting opposite all the former prime ministers and the current prime ministers. So just watching the dynamics there was, was really interesting and chatting to people you wouldn't usually chat to in the mm. normal course of life. People from, you know, really high ranking army and, and naval and air force um, officers. Um, but I think probably my most favourite part, I was sitting next to... Um, the surveyor of the fabric, which is basically an architect mm. um, who looks after the fabric of the building. And it's the role that Christopher Wren had. So he was sitting there with Christopher Wren's uh, stick. It's literally called the surveyor of the fabric stick. And wow. it's a measuring stick, which is a yard long. And then it has a, um, another foot on the end of it. So he was holding that. And then as we walked out, we were part of the procession that were escorted out. Mm. <laughs> we got to say goodbye to Chapter, which are my colleagues. So they're the, they're the, the people that are kind of like the board of trustees, if you like. And we got to say goodbye. And they <laughs> it <w> <laughs> I had Oliver behind me with his stick and everyone's going, who are you? So walking back up the <laughs> nave, everyone's watching us. Who are you? Why are you walking up the nave? And then my colleague's face was an absolute picture because... What none of us realised is that um, there's a, <laughs> there's a <laughs> there was an act of parliament that only the prime minister and members of the royal family are allowed to walk through the great west doors oh, wow. at, on ceremonial occasions. Mm. So there we were <laughs> just being <laughs> escorted out and his face was, what are you doing this for? Why are you there? <laughs> Um, and that was amazing because as we walked out, just seeing the crowds on on um, uh, on Ludgate Hill and the the TV cameras and the press and there were people cheering and it was just such a lovely atmosphere. And then we walked down to Guildhall um, for the lunch. And again, people were just filming us and cheering us and we were just kind of waving and, and, and filming <laughs> them as well. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's something I'll never forget is it was a really lovely atmosphere, but also mm. to be part of that. Um, so, yeah, I think everyone's really knackered now afterwards, though. I'm not surprised. Because we put a huge amount of work into it. And, mm. and you do the, the operations for the day, and then you do, like, the crisis comms and mm. what happens if and what happens when. Because so the security around that must be absolutely enormous. insane. Yeah. yeah. It was enormous. And, and, you know, I managed part of the security team. I've got the head of security, so he's working really closely with the city of London Police. We had the sterile areas, the areas where you could go and couldn't go. Um, and it was... That's just the prince flying over right now. I was just right going to say, yeah, is that... <laughs> hello, that's security, because we mentioned the royal security. <laughs> they just come to check on us. Um, yeah, so just the detail that goes into that and the... Um, 
it just you know the the color of the wristbands you get the color of the the invitations that you get there is a huge amount of detail and a huge amount that i can't really talk to you about now but mm. the stuff that when you're not part of it you don't even realize is thought about but yeah. every little tiny minutiae detail is thought through because um, the the there's a lot of important people in one place yeah um, yeah, that's the whole royal family were there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They don't even fly together, do they? I don't think they do. No, no, no. And and Boris Strange was there. You know, some of the cabinet were there. Keir yeah. Starmer was there. So you know, all joking aside, if anything had happened, that would have been catastrophic. Mm. So yeah, the level of detail was, as I say, minutiae. Yeah. Um, but fascinating quite cool to be, be part, part of. of it. Yeah, 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 quite cool to be part <laughs> of it. Oh, okay, that's what happened. Oh, that's how you work it. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I don't know about you. I mean, the obviously the jubilees happen what every ten years? Is it that she's? No, it depends. Oh yeah, it was every ten years since she's. But yeah, yeah. they didn't do a fortieth. They did twenty fifth for silver, and then it went straight to gold and diamond. And um, yeah. I don't know why they didn't do the ruby and then platinum. No, I'm not. I'm not quite sure how it works. But there was something special about this one. Yeah, I think there's just this sense of this is likely to be the last one. So I think people wanted to put a bit yeah. more into it also it was the coming out of the pandemic and yeah. there's also that kind of sense of celebration as well so yeah i think all of the poignant. Above. yeah really mm. poignant i think there's a lot of there's a lot of love or affection for the queen um she reminds me of my granny and i just want to give her a big yeah. hug <laughs> and they were really worried i was actually going to give her a hug <laughs> if she came i was like no i know i'd be rugby tackled in front of the world's breath so i'm probably not going to do that um <laughs> i'd be shot before i got rugby tackled to be honest with you um but um yeah i think there is that love there's that affection there and as you say there's that knowledge that this this truly is a once in a lifetime mm. event and who we were trying to work out the next monarch that might get to do a jubilee, and we think it's either going to be William or George, but they'll probably only get like a twenty, you know, a twenty-five, a, a silver. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and as you say, the whole COVID thing, everyone—it was just so lovely to sit there and without masks on, and to interact with people, and to be part of this huge event, three thousand people, mm -hmm. and then to go to the Guildhall, and it just—I hated the whole COVID thing. It just. It broke me <laughs> in many ways, but ju yeah, just to think, oh, we're back, to, we're back to normal now. We're back to real life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for you, if you've joined um, the team during COVID, yeah. that must have been the full time you've seen it at full capacity, anyway. So it that must pretty have much been was. Yeah. yeah. So I, I started on March thirtieth, twenty twenty. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spot the deliberate mistake. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh. <coughs> and there's, I mean, there's a whole. I was at Shakespeare's Globe before and we were mm. we'd never cancelled a show up until that moment really proud of that and I remember going through you know listening to um, reports on the news about what was going on and just having this vague idea there was something going on in China then suddenly it was creeping a little bit closer and we went uh, I'm on this thing called ALVA which is Association of Leading Visitor Attractions so it's all the big attractions that you mm. can think of in London and, and across England but this was the London meeting um, and we all sat there and, and Bernard, who's the CEO, who did amazing things during during COVID to kind of push the attraction industry and the fact that we were we were completely hammered and lost loads of money. Um, he stood there and did this presentation. So this was like, I think it was like mid end of February 2020. And he said, words to the effect of this will be as big as or bigger than the Second World War. Wow. Uh, yeah. And everyone just... Oh, okay. We hadn't really thought because, uh, as I say, up until that point, we thought we might need to cancel a show, or, yeah. or it might just mean that you know we. Were I think so many of us were in denial at that moment yeah. in time, though. I know I was. I yeah. was like, Nah, yeah. this this is it's just something it's just bubbling something, away. Yeah, exactly. It'll be fine. Put a bit of hand sanitizer on. Yeah, and we'll then lockdown. Yeah, <laughs> and then lockdown. So yeah. I then I you know I I was meant to I left the globe seven years, and I got my my last day was the week before we went into lockdown. So I kind of my boss at the time kind of elbow bumped <laughs> me from, the from, a, from a social <laughs> distance yeah kind of pushed across the only th i mean there's a whole he the only thing they could find was part of my present because his pa was an australian and she just she phoned him up and she said they're closing the border so i'm at heathrow sorry because mm. she just wanted to be at home so he couldn't find my present so he's like well i think this is yours and this is from a social distance you have that and i'll see you in a couple of weeks when it's all over so two years later, I went back and picked up my present and said, thanks. Um, but yeah, so that, that was difficult, leaving and not having a proper moment to mark and just seeing like this, 
the the people that I'd worked with for seven years mm. just because at that point it was before you know um, furlough and, and all the support mechanisms were out there so it's just well we're all about to fall off a cliff um, and then starting a new role um, going into like emergency mode straight away totally I guess. Yeah, yeah yeah so day one is usually yeah you know here's the photocopier my day one was we're restructuring what do you want your team to look like <laughs> and I'd only what had did it look like well, exactly <laughs> that. I'd had one coffee with a couple of people. I think three of them and this was back in the November, mm. December when I first found out I got the role and I had this four month notice period. So um yeah, I just remember sitting there thinking, Well, I don't know and suddenly losing all this confidence, all the things you think you know, and that luxury of, you know, getting in a new job and a couple mm. of months finding your feet. I had none of that. It was just it was horrible and then and then my contract was terminated and I was really put on a two day a week contract oh wow so on the one hand that was really beneficial because my husband was still working full time so I got to spend more time with my little boy but on the, the other hand it was just okay well financially what does this mean for mm. us so you know and then if the world doesn't get back to normal what does that mean and then I had this really naive view I don't know about you that we'd be in lockdown for a couple of weeks and then we'd just go back to normal I think so. <laughs> I don't think I, I can't remember. I mean, it's weird talking about it now because yeah. it feels like such a long time ago, but yeah, yeah it's still pretty fresh in everyone's yeah. minds and there's still the impact of it going on. But yeah, I thought maybe a couple of weeks and then we'll be out. And then I think in that first week, it was quite clear it wasn't happening because I know I was starting to scramble around and try and get online and just, yeah. yeah. It was a strange time. It was. There was that initial everyone was scrambling to get online. And, and th that was the other thing that my job, director of visitor engagement, everyone then looked at me and went, well, how are we going to engage the public? Mm. Uh, I was, oh, uh, well, we need to do something digitally. Um, who do we have that does digital stuff? Again, not having met people, then having to go on to Zoom and meet people via Zoom. And emotions were high. People, We, we made 25% of the workforce redundant. So emotions were high. Um, people were saying, well, you know, I'm... I, we don't know how to do it remotely. There was a massive learning curve that everyone mm. was going through, that people were tired. I mean, I have to say the team were amazing. I, I never had any kind of, you know, what are you doing here type of conversation mm. with anybody. That no one, everyone was very um, supportive of me and actually took time to phone and say, are you okay? But when you're on a, I'm, I'm on the board, you know, the executive board, the people that are making the decisions, and I was only working two days a week, it's tough to then, I'd go in on the Monday, I chose the days at the exact board meeting. So I'd go in, I'd zoom in on the Monday from my kitchen table. There's Joe, who was about, what was he, when we went into lockdown, he was three at the time, running around, trying to make these decisions. They made it very clear, because I was on furlough, couldn't do any work, obviously. Um, was that hard not to try and do work? Yeah, it is, because yeah. you can see that we, my phone, I had to turn my phone off, because it was pinging, I had to like remove all the emails from it. Um, and then I go in on the Thursday and everything could change. Boris had done one of his, you know, well, this I'm is happening you. now at five <laughs> o'clock. I'm like, oh, gosh, okay. Everything's <laughs> changed. All the stuff we thought we knew on Monday was completely different. And I'm, I think that was, somebody said the, the, the reason for everyone's exhaustion was because you were reacting to someone else's reactions of what someone else had decided was the right thing to do. Yeah. So there wasn't really a moment to process. No, I don't think we've. And stress is caused by stuff that's out of your control. Yeah. And if you're yeah. doing as much as you can to try and rein that control in, when they do a U-turn the following day, it's kind of like you back at square yeah. one again, aren't you? So yeah, you yeah. flip flopping between these decisions and, and trying trying to keep every everything you know buoyant at home and making sure you know because he was so tiny that he, he was fine. And then I remember when they created the bubbles that you could then see your families, and that was a lifesaver because mm. we bubbled with. I'm really lucky that my husband's got a really good relationship with his ex-wife and her new husband, and they've got a daughter. So we just bubbled and we were just go flipping flipping between houses because right at the beginning Brilliant. my stepdaughter had a birthday and we quite literally ran up to the their front door shoved a present and then run away a bit like most people were doing at the yeah. time and then ran away and everyone was really upset that we hadn't done it properly Aww. so we very quickly formed this bu bubble to stop us all kind of going a bit mad and and they were both you know John John is a pilot and the my my stepchildren stepfather is a pilot <laughs> so again he wasn't working so it's just crazy times, mm. really, really difficult times for everybody. Um, and the, the, the one thing we had to, we had to kind of shut down as it were at work was that um, there was an assumption that in some way that Boris was phoning us all, you know, 10 minutes before he went on the telly to say, well, this is what I'm doing tonight. So this is what you need to plan for. 
and we used to get quite a lot of um he was actually phoning the team to say yeah, yeah. he was phoning around this is what's happening you know? okay and there was i don't know criticism is the right word but it was i don't know how else to describe it it's just well you should have known this you should have known that we're not opening now or that places of worship it doesn't count as a visitor attraction there's all these nuances that we mm. have to go through um but i think that's that's hard because you're wanting to work towards being able to open up yeah. and give people that space yeah. as well so yeah yeah and th th that's a difficult thing is that there was there was a line between this is place of worship this is a visitor attraction so you can do that bit but you can't do that bit um and yeah, there and was that's a, a very grey line, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. It's a really hard line, actually. To oh, be wow. honest with you, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, there was this assumption that we knew what was being said on those five o'clock briefings. Mm. Um, so that had to be no. We're getting that at the same time, and then we're hopping on calls, or not, if you mean. And then we're, you know, then we're making decisions for twenty-four hours later, forty-eight hours later. But no, the distinction between visits and and worship is is quite hard and fast. Okay, right. It's really. Um, it's about respect of people's faith and, and what St Paul's was ultimately built for, which, mm. is, which is a church, and, and to be there for worship. Um, so the, the visitor attraction side very much works around worship. Mm. So we close for two days for you know Queen's, the Queen's Golden Jubilee, which is a, an act of thanksgiving. We close for two days to enable all the stuff that needed to happen to happen. There's not many other visitor attractions that would do no. that, and we didn't get we didn't you know we didn't get the match funding back from the BBC or the Palace or anywhere. No. You know. <laughs> so it's you know whereas in other yeah. attractions, if you look at I'm you know I know Blenheim Palace for example, if they close for two days, it's for a massive wedding, and they'll 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 build that into the cost of the wedding. Mm. I'm picking on Blenheim Palace. If anyone's listening that works for Blenheim, I wasn't. <laughs> I'm not picking on you. Other historic properties are available. <laughs> I've yet to visit there actually. It's gorgeous. <laughs> do go. Oh, yeah, no, I've, I've heard they do a great cream tea. I'm gluten free. <laughs> I don't have cream teas. Oh, no. Yeah. And it's not the same if it's gluten free. It's not. And to be honest, I'm not really a massive cream fan and cream tea fan. I don't really get it. I know that's a terrible thing to say. So I'm not really a massive afternoon tea fan. It's fine. Yeah. I'm not going to judge you. <laughs> don't judge me. <laughs> don't judge me. <laughs> so going back to St. Paul's yeah, sorry, Roman, yeah. Um there's so many questions I've got to um, ask you, but there was one really, I mean, there's so many interesting facts about St. Paul's anyway. Yeah. Um, but there was one about the keystone. The I remember keystone? Is it the keystone? When the Masons have that kind of their first stone that they put down and somebody discovered it. The keystone? Hmm. What's that? Maybe oh, I'm not I using know what the you right mean, the resurgum stone. Ah. The what stone? The do you mean the Resurgum stone? If I, I tell the no story, you tell me if that's what they mean. Um, so, <laughs> so someone has got a really interesting story about St Paul's. Yeah. <laughs> One of many. Edit that bit out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there is a, a story which I love, which is so everyone assumes that when St Paul's burnt during the Great Fire, it just burnt to ashes, and it didn't, and it was rubble, and it was standing up for a good few years after that. And there are some wonderful sketches of this kind of broken medieval cathedral, which must have looked absolutely spectacular. Mm. Um, anyway, when uh, finally Wren got the, the go-ahead to build the cathedral that he wanted to build, um, which in itself is a whole other podcast, um, <laughs> he, uh, they, he blew up the remains of the cathedral. And out of the rubble as they were searching through, because they, they used a lot of the old stone in the foundations of the cathedral, out of the rubble was this beautiful stone um, with the Latin word resurgum, I shall rise. Cool. Or I will rise again. And I did do Latin, I should know. I should know what resurgum means. Anyway, resurgum, I shall rise again. And he's put it on the pediment. So if you look at St Paul's Cathedral, if you're coming across the Millennium Bridge, if you know the geography, you've got the south side of the cathedral, you've got the south transept entrance. And right up above the pediment is that... Um, that stone and above it is the phoenix fantastic which will rise again mm. and the idea is that is the fourth cathedral that has risen from the ashes wow. and I've always found it quite a powerful um, sentiment because whatever happens I shall rise again yeah. and, and you can take that you know, from, from the Christian point of view or you can take it from the more spiritual point of view you can take it from the literal point of view that you know, this world keeps on turning and will keep on turning and all the bad stuff, there will be buildings that stand for hundreds of years that will see terrible things happen around them mm. that will still stand or will be rebuilt 
but something of that that old building something the soul is still there mm. like Notre Dame had such a huge outpouring yeah. of love didn't it when uh, it, it, yeah. it burnt down and yeah. but then there's York Minster had that back in was it the 80s when yeah, that burnt down 80s, as well yeah. and they've been spending years building that and but it's yeah, just interesting seeing how this digital age has changed how people consume media um, but also their reactions to interesting things. It has you, you see things they're more immediate but but buildings are always there's a um there's something we talk about in the attractions industry that you, nothing will ever replace standing on the spot where it happened. Mm. So as much as you, c you can now do, um, you know, you can go on a guided tour virtually. I could sit here now and go on a guided tour of Manchu Picchu if I wanted to. Nothing replaces actually being there. Mm. Nothing replaces that, that, that moment it's a feeling, of awe. It? It's a feeling, yeah. yeah. And it's, as I say, it's a grounding for the soul, for the spirit, whatever you want to call it. It is a grounding of some description. Of I am here in the place where this happened or the place where this person stood. Mm. Um, and I think actually the digital age has kind of heightened that. Is that the right way of putting it? That it's enabled us to get in touch a bit more with our feelings a bit more. Yeah. Definitely. I think yeah. people are more open about it now. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That buildings will be around for a lot longer than us. But I love that whole idea of everything being recycled. And I think whatever you believe in, there's always that cycle of yes. life. It's yeah. told in slightly different ways, depending on where you're coming from. But yeah, it's fascinating. But fascinating that that happened. And that was what was written on that stone. Yeah, it yeah. It's almost like it was meant to be. No, exactly. And and I think that I'm not particularly religious person, quite a spiritual person. I think that no matter what you believe, there is a, the, a at the heart of all of those things is an ethos about mm. a being nice to each other, but e that I, that the idea of um, yeah of resurrection in in, in various ways. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I I just wonder what he must have felt when 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 he was shown it or he found it. I don't know, but you know. Kind of a eureka moment, yeah, I imagine. Yeah, but like definitely he must have been that, my goodness, you know, this this was meant to be. I was, mm. I am the person that's meant to be in here. But to then, to then put it up there, that's I, that's my stroke of genius. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love, look, there's so many old buildings that have these little interesting facts about them. Yeah, that's why I love old buildings. Mm. <laughs> we went to, is it Grand Central in New York? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they cleaned it for years back. I remember watching this TV program about um, how they cleaned it, and you can look up. And they kept one tile oh, that wasn't cleaned. Oh, yeah. And we saw it in this program. And then when we went to Grand Central Station, we looked up and we found it. <laughs> but it's one of those <laughs> things. It's really grubby. That, yeah, just this tiny, but it was tiny black spot because it's massive, um, yeah. that station. I've never seen anywhere quite so big, but it just looks like this incredible Huge. grand library almost. But. Um, if I hadn't watched that program, there's no way yeah. I would have gone, oh, that's a bit dirty, do you know? Yeah. <laughs> I just would yeah. never have picked it out. <laughs> but that's what I love is the stories behind these buildings. Mm. It's not, and certainly for me, it's not just the stories of the, you know, the, of the rich people that built them. It's the stories of the, the, the people who literally built them, who, mm. were, who were working behind the scenes. Um, but th there's a whole the conservation philosophy about things like that, that once you start cleaning buildings, once you start changing buildings, you're changing the very soul of what that building is and actually if you tell people what you're doing then that that is retaining a part of that history there's you know you can't you can't just paint everything white and say well, we've cleaned it now that's mm. fine you need to keep something there of the essence of what it was before um which reminds people of kind of where you've come from and, and mm. what, what that building has been through definitely i mean not many of us can say we've been around since the Great Fire of London. Not many of us can <laughs> say that. Seen, you know, seen the blitz, seen the war. And we're looking at this amazing um, interpretation strategy at the moment, which is um, the going up on the roof is such a wonderful thing to do if you ever go to St Paul's. But this interpretation strategy of this just the changing hinterland and what it would have looked like and what, what Rem would have seen and what, you know, what my granny would have seen in the 40s mm -hmm. and then I remember I worked in the Museum of London we got shown this um, uh, it was a video I think it must be 1947 48 it was the first Lord Mayor show after the end of the Second World War 
and uh, they showed the Lord Mayor's coach because we used to keep the, I don't know if it's still there, but we used to keep the Lord Mayor's coach in, in the Museum of London. And they showed it kind of being wheeled down this street and everyone's going, well, where's this? What's going on? And it was like preparations begin for the, the first Lord Mayor's show, <laughs> one of those BBC ones. <laughs> and then suddenly the camera panned and there was St Paul's and you realised you were looking at what is what a cheap side and what is now one new change mm. and all of that area and everyone just gasped. So the idea that, you know, these, these, these landscapes change, things change, things happen. Um, and what that must have been like for people who were there at the time. Um, so yeah, one of our projects is St Paul's Watch, and those it was mainly me mainly men who who kept um, St Paul's safe and what they would have seen. So that's a new that's one of our interpretation strategies we're working on. Mm. It's very exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> so I was going to ask you what was up and coming for 2022 for St Paul's. Now that the jubilee's over, it's kind of. We're headlong into Wren 300, oh. um, which is the 300th anniversary of the death of Christopher Wren. So wow. um, we are, I think, arguably Wren's most famous building, mm. but we're partnering with some of the other buildings. So you've got the old Royal Naval College, Chelsea Hospital with all the Chelsea pensioners. Um, and we are looking to do quite a big festival next year. Again, going back to the idea of, you know, COVID's not over but we don't have to live by those restrictions anymore yeah so let's celebrate that um so yeah ren is the next big thing i've just got a program manager which we're recruiting for currently uh whose role is going to be to manage all of that and knit all of those threads of really exciting things together i think there might be jelly architecture but just the date to keeping the cogs turning and trying to keep uh, visitor numbers high so it we've we've bounced back a lot quicker than anyone expected and that's across the board i think mm. we're all running at about 60 percent of what we were in 2019 but 2019 was a bumpy year for everybody for tourism in london um uh, so we uh, everyone was really conservative uh, again across the board about where visit numbers would be so we're all pleasantly surprised by this 60 percent uh, the couple of challenges are you know we made lots of people redundant so can we bring people back is this going to continue? What impact does things like the war in Ukraine have? Mm -hmm. What impact things like the cost of living crisis have? Um, it, so it, it, it's kind of like cautious optimism over the next year or so. Um, I don't think anyone will fully relax until we've had a couple of couple of good years. COVID-free, really <laughs> good years. Yeah, and then we'll go, okay, it's all yeah. fine. Now. But yeah. it's great that you've got exciting plans in the pipeline, so I think that helps with the optimism, doesn't it? It's it does. If you've got something to look forward to, then yeah. it kind of brings people out. And yeah. I think it's the same could be said for everyone. Yeah. I think if, because some people got straight back into everyday life yeah, and some did, people yeah. are still feeling quite cautious, which yeah. is understandable. Yeah, no, completely. And I think until you kind of make that step, it's hard to get back into it. So. Yeah, I can bear it. I was—I just wanted to be straight back into reality mm. as soon as I could. I was one of those people that threw myself in. I was like, "Yep, theatres open. I'll go there. The you know swimming pools open. Whatever. I'll go there. I'll do all of those things that I used to do." Because, um, but I've got friends who, yeah, have taken ages to to get on the train to go into town. Mm. One of my fr one of my friends moved out in, during uh, moved out of London during COVID because she just didn't want to be around so many people anymore. Um, I understand that, but I think for everybody's mental health, it's been such a difficult couple of years that as you say we all need something to look forward to and there's all this really sw bad news all the time all swirling yeah. around i've just stopped watching the news to be honest with you, so i've I totally stopped it. and i know i've had this conversation um with a couple of other people about how you consume the news but certainly at the moment it's just every time you switch it on it's something just doom and gloom and it has been for a long time anyway but yeah it's just because it's been relentless since covid mm. I don't remember having this much bad news in the, or maybe I'm just looking at 2019 with rose tinted glasses. Maybe. <laughs> I don't remember having this amount times. of bad news <laughs> and just knowing that there was horrible stuff going on across the world and just being powerless to fix it. And there are things like climate crisis and all of those things. So yeah, and it, it could just be a culmination of so many things. Yeah. And I think a lot of people uh, in certainly in the yoga world, everyone's been sort of saying there's more need for calmness mm, and like yeah. meditation and that kind of Self thing care, yeah. yeah and it's just because people are not doing that there's almost we're kind of building up to this crisis point which has happened and it these things happen every now and then don't they they do i said to my friend it feels like the world we're building up to a crescendo like the music is building to a crescendo mm. it feels like it's going to come to a point and we all just need to take a collective deep breath <laughs> and do an om together yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just 
um, you know, and breathe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I don't know. I'm an optimist, so things will be fine. Yeah, I am most of the time actually. Sometimes I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on how tired I am. I think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> depending on tiredness levels, tolerance Optimism levels drop. Can get you. <laughs> But I do. T- I take my energy from the people around me. I take my energy from my family, from my friends, from the building that I work in. Yeah, um, I mean that, that. And that's a yeah. So that's but it's I amazing, actually, how you say about energy and buildings. I mean, you've obviously had the privilege of working in so many fantastic buildings. Yeah, I have. Is there any that have really? I'm obviously St Paul's is going to be one that stands out, but you know when you walk into the energy of a house if you ever go yeah. in a house spine you yeah. walk in and you're just like nah it doesn't feel right yeah, there's yeah, just yeah. something there but has there been anything spectacular that you've kind of noticed in any of the buildings because you mentioned three so london museum oh so Globe, yeah so i worked at, yeah. i worked at english heritage so i had at kenwood house and i had um uh rangers house elton palace marble hill um Chiswick House and Down House, which is Charles Darwin's home. Uh, and then, yeah, the Museum of London, which has some amazing objects, and then Shakespeare's Globe. Um, the Globe's a special place because it's not it's not the original building, but mm. it's, a, it's a replica. Um, but it's... it's uh, it, to be on that stage is quite something because there's no lighting, there's no sound. Well, there is a bit, but we don't talk about that. Um, but, you know, there's a bit of lighting, a bit of sound. But it, it, it's it's pretty much original practice as, as Shakespeare would have would have done it, would have Except known with it. the modern day, they sort of pause the performance when there's an aeroplane that flies over. Sometimes they do. <laughs> yeah, some of the actors bring it in. Some yeah. of the actors just literally pause like that. Some just shout over it. Um, some will just break character and will just, like, just say, oh, for goodness sake or something. Um, it depends on That's on interesting what. that they all react really differently to it. That's why it's, it's actually really nice if you, if you ever get to go to Globe t- to see. I was really lucky because I got to go to most performances. Um, but to see how the actors change, again, energy, according to the energy of the audience around them. Because it's a very different experience from sitting in the West End where mm. you sit there and the lights go down and you watch. This is in the round. Um, and they, they bounce off of the audience, particularly the groundlings, who are those, the five-pound people that, that are standing there. Um, and quite a lot of the time, the, a lot of the action takes place in the pit, which is what we call where the, where the groundlings stand. So again, sometimes, you, you know, we, we kind of, once you work there for a bit, you know, unless you, you know, do you really want to be in the groundlings <laughs> a bit today? Because you know what's going <laughs> to happen. They're a bit rowdy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. They're a bit rowdy. Or sometimes an actor will just come in, they will nick your drink, they will, you know, whack you with a pretend sword or whatever. They'll call <laughs> you a peasant, they'll grab you by the scruff of the neck. You could be on stay, you know, what, depending on what the show was. So it was just like, that's a dangerous place to be. <laughs> Do you um, remember having a few people kind of come through and then you're like, yeah. Mm, you yeah. <laughs> I remember once that there was the Macbeth one. Um, and they got all the audience members. They were basically, I think they meant to be in the pits of hell or something. They had to shove their heads through this big black tarpaulin. So these little heads were just everywhere. And then at various points, the witches would kind of come through. Um, but A, they were scaring the life out of the audiences because these women covered in blood would just like pop oh, up. Wow. And, and B, it got really hot and loads of audience members were just like <sighs> passing out. We had so many people collapsing and fainting. But these heads would just disappear. You'd see them if you... <laughs> <laughs> and then my team with the stewards in the front of the house <laughs> had to go and get them with a wheelchair. <laughs> so it's funny, but it wasn't funny. <laughs> Just trying to extract these people from the stop all in. So the the comment went back to the to the uh, production team that you know as as lovely as it looked, rain it in. <laughs> as lovely as it looked, uh, operationally it was causing a bit of a problem. Not funny. <laughs> I mean, yeah, um, not funny, but <laughs> yeah, no, very funny. much is. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, I think every property I've worked at, I've, I've loved for different ways. I have a real soft spot for Elton Palace, a real mm. soft spot for it. it was, have you ever been to Elton no, Palace? No, no. Uh, it's an amazing palace, South East London. Uh, it's Henry VIII's palace. It's the, the, uh, there's only two hammer beam roofs in England. One is Hampton Court, one is Elton. Oh, so wow. it's got the Great Hall, it's just like that. And then that was um, bought by Virginia and Stephen Courthard in the 20s and 30s. And they had a, a, a pet lemur. Um, so they what were just billionaires yeah. in the thirties, and they had these amazing house parties just wow. just before between the wars. Wars um, could talk. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you've got this amazing medieval building with a moat and a drawbridge and all of that, and then they've tacked on this absolutely stunning nineteen thirties Art Deco wow. property. It is beautiful. A flower arranging room. I mean, that's the height of. 
That's a shisha. That's a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like wow. Um, it's stunning. Please go if you ever get opportunity to go to Elton Palace. Do and that is just such a beautiful property. And there we were able because it was the servants' quarters were intact, and we were able to tell lots of different stories. Mm. And, and we had um, Virginia kept diaries and and. Uh, yeah, so we had all the, all the details of what was happening there during the wars. And it, yeah, so that's one of my most favorite buildings. And that building's got a different type of energy. Mm. And every time I walked in, I just thought I was in an Agatha Christie novel. And <laughs> I was about to go to a, you know, a posh dinner. Fantastic, yeah. Did you ever get to dress up and go there and kind of have like a 20s or 30s style party? It really annoyed me. I was never able to do that. I used to offer all the curators if I could like grab a ye olde dress and just put it on and waft but I was always told no oh, I'm going into <laughs> into the uh, into the clothing store at the um, uh, Museum of London loads and loads and loads of beautiful beautiful clothes name name a time they've got clothing from that time Me- medieval stuff all the way all the way through to you know 70s 80s and uh, yeah I used to offer if you ever need someone to wear it <laughs> I don't no, mind being a clothes horse for the day. Do that. You know, but if you have a need. You know. <laughs> but having clothes that old as well, yeah. I mean, they... Well, that's why they often yeah. be, obviously, very looked after, not yeah. people like temperature me coming into, like, kind of know. Yeah, temperature yeah. control, packed away, only allowed out at certain, you know, just to just to check that um, the, the fabric is okay, and if they need any repairs, then it's evaluating what that repair will be and how that will be, but... I've got the broderers at St Paul's now who, who repair all the coats and the, the robes that the priests wear so I get to kind of go in and because okay. they're I working garments like, oh what are you working on now so you, you can touch <laughs> those your greasy they're fingers off. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Could you just maybe looking back I should have been a, clo- a costume curator or something like that maybe yeah. yeah but then at the same time you've got this privilege of going into so many different places yeah. and sort of admiring it and I think sometimes yeah you can be too involved and go yeah no it's not fun anymore but you know you never know. You never know. <laughs> no, no, I th- I'd, be in, uh, I'd be in osteology if I was going to do anything. Because that's oh. what I thought I was going to do. But, yeah, no, the joy of ops is that you get to, like, go into all the cupboards and, and you know, have a good go behind the barriers, around. have a good old rummage. <laughs> um, whereas if, if, if you've got one speciality, you don't tend to do that. Mm. And what um, was osteology? Yeah, so... Um, oh, so I did a degree in ancient history and archaeology, and mm. I, I really wanted to be a curator, and I'm really fascinated by uh, ep- paleoepidemiology, paleopathology, ah. so the study of dead people, the study yeah. of ancient diseases. And that's what I really wanted to do. And I wanted to go into curatorial, that, that kind of curatorial world. Um, but I'd done a BA, and when I was applying for all these um, courses, they were all MSCs, and oh I wow. was told, oh, well, you can't, you'd have to do like a conversion course. I mean, it sounds ridiculous now, but this mm. was 20 odd years ago. You, co- you know, no one's taking you on if you've got a BA. You haven't, I didn't have um, A-levels in any of the sciences. So I was kind of like wondering what to do with myself, and I went off to um, uh, volunteer at the Verulania Museum up in St Albans, mm. and I joined the curatorial team there. Uh, they were packing up, they're going through refurbishment, so I joined the curatorial team. Um, and I went on some archaeological digs um, and I was having the time of my life. And then as they were packing up, the museum director said to me, oh, actually, no, today we don't need you here. It'd be really helpful if you go to speak to the education team or, you know, or today actually it'd be really helpful if you go front of house and help out there. So I spent quite a while doing lots of different things and actually found that as much as I enjoyed being in a trench and it was a bit wet and damp and a bit backbreaking, um, and dead people, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, just in a, you're just in a room with some bones and after a while... <laughs> I don't say much back, but actually being in front of house and, and working with so many different people. And I remember as the placement was coming to an end, I, I sat down with him and he was like, oh, you know, what do you think you'll do next? And I said, well, you know, I, I'm really thinking about whether or not I do want to go into, into osteology, bones and, and curatorial. Um, but I've really enjoyed the variety and he just went, oh, your operations, yeah. that's what you should do. And I'd never How really amazing that he just picked that up straight well, away like he, that. Yeah, and I think that's I, th- I think that was his background. I'm not quite sure, but he, as the museum director, he knew that. Uh, yeah, you need people who have got that fascination mm. who want to open the covers and see what's going on behind there. So that's uh, my I ended up doing my masters in heritage management rather than fantastic rather than the study of dead people. But every now and again, I, I, I watch something on TV or I pick up. I think. Hmm. But I it's do nice miss to the have dead that kind sometimes. of <laughs> hobby, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose it is a hobby. Are you a big fan of a TV program that's been going for about 20 no, plus years? No, I've never no. seen that. Have you not? No, but that's oh recent wow. dead. That's not like True. plague victims. 
No. So I made friends with um, the osteology curator at the Museum of London. I was just going to visit her. So um, if you know the Museum of London, is a massive rotunda. They've got, I think it was 17,000 bodies down there. Wow. Um, but all like, you know, 12th century, 17th century plague victims and people like that. Mm. So people who had come from various um, burial pits and areas around London. Um, and I actually did a couple of courses there. Um, and it's just really interesting when you... That's why I want to do the, the paleoepidemiology, which is the, the study of the diseases and how the that diseases I think is fascinating. Yeah. Only because I can't remember which museum or where I saw it, but they can trace things like multiple sclerosis back to yeah. northern Europeans. And you just think, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, or they can take bone samples or teeth samples and say where you came from, like these Roman bones, or this person actually originated from, you know, this and place, North yeah. Africa. Or whatever. And I think if you can kind of study that bit, yeah. then it makes it easy to then go forward and go, maybe make not so much predictions, but no, look yeah. towards kind of um, yeah. a cure for stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. And, and also it's the bones that tell the story. It goes back to the idea of stories and, and the people rather than the, you know, King Henry VIII did this. Actually, the people, mm. you can look at the bones and say this person was only 42 when they died and they had terrible arthritis and they mm. must have been in pain because they were probably working in the field or doing back-breaking work and we know this because so so again you tell the stories of what the ordinary people were up to yeah um and that's that's what fascinates me definitely i hope my sister doesn't mind me mentioning this oh. hi claire <laughs> 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 she did um archaeology oh really okay. yeah she um studied ancient history absolutely fascinated by the egyptians and has done quite a few digs and stuff but oh you're wow. absolutely right it's Backbreaking work. Is, yeah. She's transitioned out of that now. She says everyone in the thirties who um, does digs is just broken. Yeah. Um, but they had the pleasure of working on the crossrail rail. And <gasps> Did she? Dig, yeah. Oh my goodness! With Mola. I don't know. Oh, wow. um, I, she, I mean, this is years ago now. It yeah, feels like, yeah. but um, quite fascinating. Some of the stories, and um, you know, they had to do some digs of some pretty grim places, mm. actually. No, I'm sure. Um, fascinating still. Yeah. 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 Soup. Yeah. That's a great description. <laughs> <laughs> Chunky soup. Chunky soup. Yeah. Yeah. yeah not don't, not don't every anyone. Every, <laughs> every burial site is a is a lovely preserved skeleton. Put it that way. Oh, that must have been amazing. I'm really jealous. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not sure she enjoyed her time so much staying in London. Oh. <laughs> She's a country girl at oh, heart. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what a fascinating place to go digging there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that, that's that's what I mean. I watch things and I get really jealous. And when I was at the Museum of London, I did try to do some voluntary stuff for MOLA, but it just never quite fitted around work and things. But no, I'm really jealous of that. That would have been amazing. Because there are stuff, there are things you can go and volunteer to do, can't you? There are. I just, I literally don't have five minutes anymore. No. Though, so. <laughs> <laughs> Every so those things, days, yeah, so. when you retire, it'll be. <laughs> so you've. You've pretty much covered quite a few of the questions I was going to ask, actually. Like no, how did you get into it? Um, I mean, yeah. being London-born and bred, I mean, that's pretty special. Uh, yeah. To be able to then go off and work in these amazing places, it's um, just incredible. Yeah, I think being London-born and bred, I just, you know, lived in, born in central London. So we'd go for a walk on a Saturday and we'd walk up to Houses of Parliament. We'd walk past. I, li I lived around the corner from the British Museum, so that's where we go if it was raining so mm. all this stuff was on my doorstep and I, I my, my my nanny used to take me to all these places um john soane's museum which is again if you've been mm. there one of the most amazing places you have to go in lincoln's inn um so i grew up around that and my dad was always really interested in history my uncle worked at the natural history museum he was one of those we used to call them stewards but you know vigilators mm. visitor experience assistant we'd say now <laughs> so i grew up with all of that kind of stuff so in my head I knew I always wanted to work with history. Um, and in my head, anyway, when I was a kid, everybody lived in central London. And Typical why would Londoner. I not want to? <laughs> yeah, I know, sorry. I, I do know that now. It's <laughs> <laughs> so you've got, oh, actually, there's like a whole country in the world. <laughs> but we don't go north <laughs> of Watford Gap. Go north of <laughs> uh, to be fair, my parents didn't travel very much at all. Our holidays were like the Isle of Wight or whatever. But when so you have so uh, much in this city, yeah, it's incredible. And yeah. I remember coming down, gosh, nearly 20 years ago now. And I only came down for a month and then sort of embedded myself here. And London feels like a playground. 
Yeah. There's just so much to do, yeah. so much fun to be yeah. had. But yeah, it's almost too much. It's great when you're when you're a kid, mm. when you're like you know, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, going out and. That's See that era, I missed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Camden in the nineties was fun. Yes, I bet that was. Yeah, that oh. was a lot of fun. We used to go to uh, the Good Mixer and the Dublin Castle, and oh, Look, yeah. Dublin Castles. Sorry, Castle, not Castle. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mean to correct you or anything. <laughs> As my husband, it doesn't have an R in it. <laughs> Infamous, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's well known. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been there, but I've heard lots about it. Yeah, it was it was the place to go in in the in the 90s, and we'd sit there, and and then Blur would come in, and you'd be having a drink, and they'd be at the table, and they'd say, "All right," and you'd say, "All right." My friend would have just <laughs> died when she heard that. <laughs> <laughs> it just, uh, but I think because it was before social media and stuff like that, that it was easier to mm. do that then no one was going to like take a picture of them or yeah. selfies or I don't know just more innocent time like I, d I don't know how to kind of describe it or menswear there's a band called menswear if oh you remember God, that yeah. they around quite yeah. a bit and uh, oh gosh the tales I could tell of Camden in the 90s my friend we used to go to this night that's um, another podcast that is itself. another podcast <laughs> yeah the dome in Tufnell Park and it had mm. a Saturday night called Stomp and I'm pretty sure it's called Stomp someone's going to phone up and say it wasn't called Stomp. no Dizzy Dizzy Anyway, it doesn't matter. It had a Saturday night thing. And uh, we lost our friend at one point and we were wondering where he was. And he was sat under the stage talking to Iggy Pop <laughs> for the entire night. How fantastic. Um, had, didn't have one clue why they were talking about because he'd had a lot to drink. And obviously it's before social media. So there was no, there's no like, here's me and Iggy Pop selfies. But it's just, yeah, those types of those types of stories. That that we had. Caitlin Moran, she was, she's my age group. Oh, and we used to wow. hang around with her for a bit. And yeah, so it was all happening. Just like the cool crowd. No, but we didn't feel like the cool crowd. It's just and because you were just London people. Yeah, it was just that we lived we lived quite close to Camden. So if you're going to go out, you go where's up the road. We just mm. all of us just got on a bus and went up to Camden, and then. So yeah. for us Northerners, that's like. Oh, yeah, but then I was because I went to uni in Manchester, mm. and I went because of Hacienda and all that stuff, and you know. Mm. So it was Bright Lights in Manchester yeah. for me. It was like, oh yeah, this is the, the place legendary to go where Hacienda. the stone roses are from and all of that. Mm. Yeah. But we were there. Well, it wasn't Manchester was when there was that soap opera. What was it called? The Living Soap. Um, so my flatmate Eileen was on a course with one of the girls that was on it who was going out with Jason Orange. Amazing. I know. And then my other flatmate, she had a job in Affleck's Palace. Do you know Affleck's oh. Palace? Yeah, she was working on a store and Mark Owen came in and said, you can you pierce my nose? And she went, no, I'll make <laughs> you look stupid. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> but again, this was like 90, must have been like 95-ish. So yeah. they were... What they were, were they, yeah, they were quite big then. They were they? quite yeah, big. Yeah. Massive. Massive, yeah. Mm. Um, and I remember... <laughs> Uh, yeah, we were, uh, where was I? I was in John Lewis in Oxford Street and Howard came in. I did a graduate training thing there and Howard came in and he came up to me and I just went, I just, this is a different <laughs> podcast, but basically <laughs> I just didn't know what to say to him. I just stared at him until someone else had to take over. <laughs> you never quite know how you're going to uh, react to somebody. <laughs> but you're saying like that's so weird. I've, had, I've met famous people who <laughs> do some very strange things, believe me. Oh but um, yeah, and I just remember just staring at him and his dreads. So this must have been about 97, 98. Brilliant. Someone else had to come in. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday, I'll take over. Go <laughs> yeah. sit down, get yourself a cup of tea. <laughs> 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 it's Howard. <laughs> also, mate, I love seeing people's reactions when they see famous people, and everyone <laughs> reacts so differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you met lots of famous people? No, I don't think I have, but actually, I've got quite a few stories, <laughs> and me. it's just being in the right place yeah. at the right time. It's a completely random connection, or just completely random. In fact, I know, um, I remember being in a club and like Josh Joel sat down next to us on the <laughs> step, but we were having a conversation. <laughs> Can't remember what it was about. <laughs> Someone took a photo. I've got no idea oh, who's wow. got this photo. Oh There's, you know, and it was on an old camera, so it probably doesn't even exist anymore. But they're around somewhere. I always remember yeah. thinking, oh, I really want that photo. Um, but yeah, and then, yeah, there's loads of random ones. I'm yeah. not going to go into it now. But I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
we could do. So we com completely digress onto another subject, but I'm going to bring it back in because I know you've met somebody pretty famous. <laughs> and I don't know whether you can tell this story or not on a podcast when you were at the Globe Theatre. And I believe you were <laughs> pregnant with um, your son at the time. This is the Obama story. <laughs> yeah. Are we allowed to talk about that? Yeah, I mean... I think that's a lovely story. Um, <laughs> oh, it's just... It's <laughs> so very long story short, if, if, a, if a president of the United States ever comes to visit you, um, they will start the planning for the visit about six months before they arrive. And quite literally, it feels the whole of the West Wing will turn up to plan that. So <laughs> I was... So my job at the Globe was director of visitor operations, and I was with uh, lots of colleagues from press, from comms, from, from ops, from, from facilities, working with West Wing colleagues from uh, trying to get this visit off the ground. So we knew that Obama was coming, you know, yonks before anybody else did. Um, and the people I had to work most closely with, because I also managed security, was um, the CIA protection officers and the... And they're pretty serious people as well, aren't they? Really serious. Yeah. <laughs> they're all like seven foot eight, Jeez. 12 foot wide, and they are very serious people. Beefcakes. Very serious people, <laughs> ma'am. Very serious people. Do they ever crack a smile? But once or twice they did crack a little smile, but they have to kind of get to know you and they, they still don't fully trust you. Um, I remember they, they, wear, they all wear these little uh, pin badges with the American flag on and I said to one of them, so I've always thought that's GPS in case like one of you gets lost or the president <laughs> gets, gets, um, gets kidnapped. Is it? And he just looked at me and was like, <laughs> you think I'm going to tell you? <laughs> of course it's not. But if it was, do you think I'm going to tell you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm only asking. What do you think I'm going to do with the information? <laughs> it's thinking about it. It's yeah. like, yeah, he's not going to tell me, is he? Um, so, yeah, and then we had the Royal Protection Officers as well because they, they were working closely with the Met. So, um, so we had all of these really, really, like, detailed, detailed meetings. And then in the middle of it all, I get pregnant. And it, it was acknowledged that I was pregnant, so I was getting fatter and I was, like, eating all the time. No, because I just had really bad morning sickness. Oh, no. And my ankles were, like, massive. And I, I just, I looked pregnant almost immediately. <laughs> it was, oh. like, quite, anyway, it was Almost kicked in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it kicked in. So by the time he arrived, I must have been about five months pregnant. And um, so a couple of days before, uh, I was joking, I was talking to them, and I was saying, so it was... Obama was president and it was just they were coming up to the elections which would have happened in November so it was 2016 and at this point Donald Trump was kind of like oh actually he's he's the candidate that's mm. so I remember saying well you know surely to goodness if he becomes president you wouldn't still carry on in your role would you and it was like my job is to protect the president of the United States man and I was like you wouldn't take a bullet for him though would you <laughs> and he went, my job is to, take a, is to protect the President of the United States, ma'am. And uh, the, uh, the, the Royal <laughs> Protection Officer, who, who wasn't as tall as this massive CIA guy, pulled himself up and he went, I'll take a bullet for the Queen and for Prince Charles and for any of the royal family. And then the CIA guy looked at him and said, well, we'd all take a bullet for the President. And we were like, yeah, and that's the point. We'd all and I started off this, like, who, who would you take a bullet for? <laughs> Okay, no one's yeah. taking a bullet for anyone. Um, so anyway, they were saying like, you know, so the, the, the police protection officer said you really shouldn't say stuff like that. They get really like, anxious about stuff. And I was like, oh, my, you know, okay. I thought we all knew each other by this point. It'd been a few months into the planning. Um, anyway, so the day the day arrived of the presence of the president's visit, President Obama's visit, and we were all really excited by it. And uh, before he arrived, we'd all had to give in our passports, our driving license, and a, a utility bill as like proof of address and photographic ID as well. And then we had this very detailed um, kind of uh, action sheet or event sheet of where we were all meant to be at various points. And so I was in the Globe checking that everything was fine. And we had actors coming on to do a little thing. And then, and then the CEO and the director of education was going to bring the president onto the stage to talk to the actors. So I was upstairs on the third floor, checked everything was okay, checked everything was going on downstairs. And I thought, and then that was my bit done. And I thought, I'm not going to miss this. It's Obama. I'm going to stay here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I stood there. And as I say, I was quite pregnant. So I had this little bump. And uh, then suddenly the, C the, the guy that I met, the CIA guy, walked in. And immediately he looks up. And I was like, hi. And uh, he said something into, the, into, the, um, into his earpiece. And then his mate looked up. And he started going like that to me. 
Uh, it's so here I'm on my podcast. He's pointing. He's <laughs> pointing at me. So I just kind of like turned around thinking, oh, there's someone standing behind me. He must be pointing at. I turned back and he's mouthing, you. I was like, well, and at, at the same time, the, the Obama's walked. So the actors have done their thing and Obama's walked on stage and is talking to the director. And I was holding um, the bump and I was talking. I didn't know it was Joe. I was talking to my baby and I was like, you know, this, the, the presence that man has, can I just say, he's a very tall guy, but the presence he has was everyone just, wow, okay. I can imagine. Yeah. There's, there's not very many people who have that kind of presence. It commands the room. Like yeah. Literally everything stopped and everyone just looked at him. And you think you're the most powerful man in the world and you are who you are. You, mm. You've achieved something. And I was kind of saying that to, to the bump. I was like, you know, this is a moment. I know you're not here, but actually you're part of this. And this is the first... Um, African-American president mm -hmm. of the United States and maybe, you know, happier times, maybe the world's turning <laughs> into a better place. So I'm chatting away and I look back down again and I see that um, what the, the guy, the, the CIA guy that I've been talking to had gone and the other one's still talking on his mic and then I hear footsteps coming up and I turn around and it's him and he said, who are you talking to? And I said, the baby. And he went, Right, okay. And he turned me around and he, he put his hand, which was a giant like a spade, in the small of my back and kind of pushed me, very gently, but pushed me out of the door and started propelling me down the stairs. And I said, oh, um, are, you, are you escorting me out? <laughs> and he went, yes, ma'am, I am. And, and I said, oh, uh, what have I done? And he said, well, you don't have permission to be here. And I said, no, no, I do. And he was like, no, no, you didn't have permission when the, when the president was here. You're very lucky this could have been <laughs> serious. By this point, I was at the bottom of the steps. And the, this armed Met police met me at the bottom of the steps <laughs> and said, what have you got her there for? And he said, well, she wasn't meant to be up there. And the other Met police said to the CIA, well, this is a sterile area. We can't have her in a sterile area. <laughs> and, uh, and the CIA said, not my problem. And the Met police went, well, it is, because you brought her down. And I'm just standing there. <laughs> and so the CIA guy basically pushed me at the armed Met police, who just went, oh, like, <laughs> so yeah. more. CIA wandered off, so I missed Obama going. Um, and then I basically had to be shoved behind a cushion cart because then they had to like radio everyone that I wasn't to be shot at because there were all these snipers on roofs everywhere. They'd shot down Jesus. central London. Um, and uh, it must have been totally frightening. Just it, was, it was a bit. It wasn't <laughs> frightening. It was surreal. It was only afterwards I thought, my God, someone could have shot me, like because they thought I was talking to someone. But also um, that kind of casual push out. Yes. Yeah. Well, with like, this really strong, oh. really tall mm. person. Um, but you yeah, could have just said, "Can we move somewhere else?" Well, yeah, no. He, he was just like, "Get out of the." And they were saying, "Like you're really lucky that that happened. That there wasn't just a gun in your head." Um, but yeah, they was. He was saying that the, the Met guy. He was really angry with the CIA. It was like, "Oh, they they thought that you'd faked your whole pregnancy, and you were talking to somebody." Well, they no, they must have thought you'd faked your pregnancy. You were talking to somebody. It was like. Who's got the time and the energy to do that? And do I look like? Um, and he was like, well, clearly they didn't, because otherwise they would have, like, you know, wow. you wouldn't be here. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, gosh, that feels... I suddenly realised that, um, yeah, if, if any future presidents come, then I will not be in their vicinity if I don't have the, cl the clearance. So when I was joking at St Paul's about rugby, to, you know, about mm. hugging the Queen, I you would was have been never really going to hug no. the Queen, because <laughs> I knew... <laughs> But in that you. situation before, yeah, exactly. don't want to be and there this again. this time, I don't have the benefit of a bump to say No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. How yeah. frightening. But how exciting. It was exciting to be in his presence. Yeah. Yeah. It was really exciting. Oh. Uh, yeah. It wasn't frightening at the time. It was only afterwards I thought, oh, my God, that was a really dangerous situation. Yeah. I just didn't think it through. <laughs> I mean, like a lot of things I've done in my life. But no, but then if you're part of that whole organisation piece anyway, then it's kind of... Well, Very that was strange. my thinking. That I've done all the stuff. They know who I am. They've they've had all my. I don't even think I, I went through it that much. It's like well, I've done my bit. He's coming in. I'm going to stay here and have a look. Yeah. Blimey. Anyway. Very different experience to the St Paul's event uh, not so long yeah. ago. <laughs> <laughs> very different. But then they've always said that the Americans are so detailed about stuff. Yeah. They're but really I mean, detailed. that's a different topic for a different day. I think too. Yeah, that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for sharing that story with That's me. That's all right. Anytime. Yeah. Well, not anytime because it's silly. No, no, yeah. Really, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure Obama won't mind. I'm sure. He's I'm like sure. Quite a nice person. Yeah. Do you know? I've. There was a contrast between him and Trump. That's a whole other podcast. That is a whole That's other podcast. Well, we're not going to go the into that. As yeah, I said yeah, when it but was, uh, yeah. It definitely would have 
would have loved to have met both him and Michelle, actually. Yeah, I would have. It was really, really sad I never got to meet either of them because Michelle went somewhere else that day, I think. She wasn't she wasn't with him. Mm. Um, yeah, I was never bothered about meeting Trump. So <laughs> I never got into any trouble with the CIA when he came Thank over. God. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been a very different story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Um, so... Being a Londoner mm. and obviously having worked in London for the majority of your um, working life, yeah. have you got any favourite places to eat? Oh, oh gosh, I wasn't expecting favourite places to eat. Um, yeah, I thought I'd just throw that yeah, in. Yeah, thanks measure. for chucking That's that all right. in. There's a really lovely, I'll tell you where, this is a really secret place. Um, not so secret anymore. Not so secret anymore. <laughs> uh, it's called Beaujolais. Have you heard of it? Oh, no. No. I've heard of the so, wine. So, yeah. Mm. So it's run by an amazing French guy who, um, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little wine bar off of Charing Cross Road. Oh, nice. And I can't remember the name of the street, but it's the same street where you've got the Ivies on one corner, the Mousetrap Theatre is at, is at oh, one end, see, and then yeah. Charing Cross Road is at the other end, and then halfway down is Beaujolais. Nice. And it's like someone's living room. It's so small, but they do the most amazing wine. They do like pre-theatre snacks. It's like boiled eggs and, and they do beef bourguignon and they do, it's just lovely. And you have to kind of like cram in, goodness knows um, what happened to them during COVID. We haven't been back actually since COVID. Um, but it's a really lovely place to mm. go and eat and he'll be really friendly to you. And it's just mm. completely bonkers. And none of the tourists have found it. And I think if they do, then, you know, good luck to them because they've... Uh, they found a really a lovely treat. place. Yeah. yeah. And there used to be a really nice Japanese place when I lived in Putney, um, which was run by a Japanese family and they'd make the sushi there in front of you. Oh, nice. I can't remember what that was called. Um, but I know that's not there anymore. Oh, so there's no shame. point telling you that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's always nice to hear stories and yeah. yeah. Top tips. Yeah. Top tips. Brilliant. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? It'd be the ability to zap anywhere like in Star Trek. So you didn't have to travel. Yeah. Click your heels together like Dorothy or just go beam me up and then just be there. Must admit, that would be awesome. Yeah. No trains, no transport, no... Get past the train strikes. Or airport queues. Yeah. It'd be so much better for the environment as well. Yeah. And I think someone should invent it. I think they should too. Yeah. Can you? Are you coaching your son towards this? <laughs> no, not me. I'm not the science person. <laughs> I'm the arts and history. Jamie's the engineer and the maths ah, person. Brilliant. So that that's his. That's his. Uh... Fantastic. Well, Sandy, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, you're Just very to welcome. Chat about um, your wonderful career and like places that you've worked and the events that you've been involved in. It's, it sounds fascinating. And it is. Yeah, it has. I'm been. sure there's so many more stories to share. There's lots more stories. And hopefully, there will be many more stories as well. Lots yeah. more fun times to have. Brilliant. Well, if you're about in London, then get down to St Paul's and Indeed. go and check out this amazing phoenix that's on the side of the building. But it, I haven't actually been myself, and I keep saying to you, I'm going to go. I'm going to have a tourist day out Come this along, year and uh, go out. and check it out because yeah, okay. I've walked around it and passed it, and yeah. That's a lot of a lot of people say that it's for tourists. I've walked around it and passed it, but come in, it's beautiful. Mm. There's lots of stories. It's like you go to another city somewhere else and you can walk into a church. Yeah. So um, why not check out yeah, the one in London? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Who's on the Mat with me, Liz Daffin. If you'd like to find out more about me, you can head over to my Linktree account. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash L-I-Z-D-A-F-F-E-N. Fancy coming on the show or you have any suggestions for a topic we can cover, get in touch. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Take care. Bye.